Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. We are hunters, anglers, riders, and sometimes chefs. Our passion for the outdoor lifestyle motivated the foundation of Harvesting Nature, which serves as a media outlet built to inspire and educate the outdoor expert, and novice alike. Our podcast focuses on the technical side of cooking wild fish and game while also incorporating adventures and lessons learned from our pursuit of wild meat. Join us on our journey of harvesting nature. Hey everyone, welcome to Harvesting Nature's Wild Fishing Game Podcast. You got your host here, Justin Townsend, uh, joined here with some very special guests who I'm going to introduce in just a moment. Uh, then also have uh, Will from the crew here setting. Uh, to my right, what's up, uh, guys? As well. So today uh, we are going to chat with a gentleman from Infinite Outdoors, and uh, I'll give him a brief introduction, just like I said. But uh, I'll give everyone a quick news update, sort of what's going on. So we went ahead and launched a uh, a new shirt over on the Harvesting Nature store, which uh, you can take a peek at uh, through the links in the show notes. And it's basically like kind of a camouflage American flag with the harvest nature and some stencil lettering that says, find your wilderness, kind of one of our standard slogans. We're going to continue to use that as a donation point for, uh, for veteran outdoor organizations. We'll probably choose a different organization each month and uh, donate probably 40 to 50% of our proceeds uh, from that shirt sale uh, to those organizations because we like to support those organizations that do good things in the world, especially in the worlds of uh, veterans and active duty military. So uh, there's that hot bit of news. Uh, next up, um, if you've been tuned into our Adventures for Food podcast, it's really just a short, uh, succinct storytelling session between one of our field staff writers or guests who's telling a good uh, outdoor adventure story about their pursuit for food. So Go scroll back in the episode list, and and you'll find that. Give it a give it a listen. It's a, good to go. Um, 
other than that, Will and I have been chasing tarpon for the past couple days down here in the Florida Keys. Uh, so trying to get uh, synced up and tuned in for that. But we've been battling the the rain, the wind, and the weather. Um, Will's three hookups. I'm no hookups. So <laughs> we'll see how it goes. Tomorrow's a new day, I guess. Outside of that, Will, do you have any updates? No, that's about it. I had to pull myself away from the from the water tonight to come and be on here. So I'm excited to be here with uh, Infinite Outdoors and uh, excited to hear what they have to say. All right, great. Well, let's uh let's roll into that then. So today our guests are from Infinite Outdoors, as you know. It's a project project that are helping hunters and anglers get more access and opportunities uh, to the things we love, hunting and fishing, uh, which is great. So we got Grant Stewart, Sam Seaton, are the co-founders. Welcome, gentlemen, to the Harvesting Nature Wild Fishing Game podcast. So, uh, as discussed a little earlier, I'm going to ask you each to introduce yourself a little further and uh, tell us some of your deepest, darkest, favorite wild game secrets. No, just kidding. You don't have to divulge that unless you really want to. <laughs> so, uh, I guess I'll go ahead. Uh, I'll, I'll start with uh, Sam with you. All right. Sounds good. Um, so yeah, my name's Sam Seaton. Like you said, I'm the, uh, founder and CEO of infinite outdoors. And, uh, I mean, shoot, literally all I eat is wild game. I don't think I've bought meat in a decade, but so my, my favorite one is probably, I mean, it's hard to beat a good pheasant jalapeno popper. That's, that's about as good as it gets. Um, <laughs> but the, the next best thing that I ever had was was a wildebeest in in Africa, just cooked over a fire, just nothing nothing special on it, just straight wildebeest over a fire, and that that's uh, that's about my second favorite wild game I've ever had in my life. So what's uh what would you compare wildebeest to maybe in the U.S. if if you could compare it to something? Oh, just like the most the most tender cut of steak you've ever had in your life. I don't know, it just it. Like if you could, if you could cross but cross a Krispy Kreme donut with a with like a <laughs> with like a T-bone steak, it was it was like that. <laughs> nice. There's probably uh there's probably a county or state fair somewhere where that's happened. So, <laughs> oh, I'm sure there is. <laughs> Thanks. So, um, that's awesome. Thanks for sharing that, Grant. Uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, my name's Grant Stewart. I'm the COO for Infinite Outdoors. Uh, uh, I mean, that's I'm kind of kind of along with Sam. I mean, kind of especially now. I actually so I grew up in South Lake, Texas, which is a suburb outside of Dallas Fort Worth, and then uh, lived there my first 18 years through high school and everything, and then actually came up here to Colorado, and that's where I'm at now. I uh, went to uh, School of Mines there in uh, Golden, Colorado, and then kind of Sam actually kind of showed me the the ropes to Western hunting, and now I've been hooked on it, and actually did some guided hunts this year, which was a blast. Did a hundred percent success. I have one more late season mule deer hunt uh, here in December, but uh, now I actually reside here in Stratton, Colorado, which is on the Eastern Plains. Uh, it's about my favorite place ever. I mean, there's always something to do out here. There's always something to hunt, but uh, you got pheasant season starting on Saturday, so I'm I'm pumped about that. That's my favorite type of hunting. I mean, there's nothing better than good old pheasant hunting, walking 15 miles a day. But anyways, I guess going into a type of game that I love, I mean, pheasant. I actually found this new recipe, and I'm excited to, to try it with pheasant. But it's it's like this. My girlfriend actually found it because I'm doing keto, <clears throat> trying to lose some weight after my, my playing days. I was 315 at my heaviest, and now I'm about 255. But I'm doing oh, wow. keto, so no carb. And uh, 
trying to eat as much wild game as I can. But uh, but at least what I found is this like creamy Tuscan, in this case pheasant, would be delicious with it. But you can do it with chicken or shrimp. And uh, all it is is you got to, I mean, just cook the, cook the pheasant, chicken, or shrimp. Um, you can dice it up or leave it whole however you want to do it. Uh, just with some olive oil and salt and pepper, uh, and then, uh, and then, and then, uh, in another pot, all you got is some broccoli, some diced up cherry tomatoes, and uh, and some onions diced up as well, and then a little bit of olive oil, and then once those are browned and cooked, then uh, throw some heavy cream in there, and then a little bit more salt and pepper, and then just mix the two together. And I mean, it's phenomenal. I was like, this has got to be one of the best things I've ever had. I've eaten it four nights in a row now, so. <laughs> Awesome. Well, thanks for sharing that recipe with us. That's uh, that sounds pretty good. I'm gonna have to give that a try. Um, oh, damn good, for sure. Uh, I would. I imagine it would probably taste good with red meat too. I bet. Oh, I bet. I mean, yeah. That thing it makes everything taste good. So, try <laughs> <laughs> with some venison too. Hell. Yeah. We had a little conversation with you guys before we started recording about uh, some some of thoughts that that uh we may have on wild game consumption as it relates sort of to athleticism and and obviously we all know that wild game super nutritious um i'm curious to to have a little chat about this and see where you guys stand with uh with this thought that you brought up yeah no i i can uh, i can expand on that a little bit um so i mean i'm not gonna i'm not gonna say anything about my my myself but uh one one thing that's kind of unique about you know infant outdoors and our our whole uh, you know pretty much the entire management is the majority of us were actually uh, college athletes. So just speaking specifically with with a couple other guests here is you know, Grant was uh, an all American college lineman when he was when he was in college and you know ate almost nothing but uh, but wild gamey. And then I also played, like uh, Grant alluded to it, Colorado School of Mines, and was running back there and had a had a successful enough career. And I mean, I don't, I don't, I haven't bought meat in a decade. So it's, I, I think there's got there's got to be some correlation there between that growing up and living off of that just lean, healthy protein and and really getting the most out of your 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 body and really being able to take it to the next level. I think it's pretty awesome, especially to you. Like you look historically and, and, you know, wild game has served so many, uh, niches throughout history and so many different types of, of people all across the world. You know, we'll talk like it, even more expensive wild game to say like just North American game, whitetail or whatever, but you're talking all continents everywhere that has wild game. You're looking at these, uh, traditional civilizations eating that and it fitting the needs of whatever, activities they're doing and uh even that evolution over time so i think it's it's a pretty pretty rad thought um and i i i could agree i agree with it and i could see it as well um is a great way i mean they it's been shown that you know wild game uh is better for us but also holds more you know vitamins and minerals than than standard you know farm raised depending on how what agriculture practices are involved, but, um, yeah, it's a good thought. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, definitely pretty cool. I guess, um, my question sort of along the lines and feel free to jump in if you have any questions about nutrition and whatnot, cause I know you do. <laughs> 
Well, I think it's really interesting. You know how people say a lot of people that come from the Midwest, you know, corn fed boys, you know, big linebackers. Uh, you see those athletes coming out of there or Texas, especially. But a lot of those Midwestern states and even your southern states have a big diet of wild game that I think a lot of people just don't attribute athleticism to. And even the practice of hunting, I mean, we're all Western game hunters here, and that's an athletic process in itself. Mm -hmm. So I think uh, even the hunting of wild game, as well as the consumption, is just a really healthy practice. It's a healthy sport, both mentally and physically. Couldn't agree with you more, Will. Uh, I think that the outdoors definitely helps shape you. Um physically challenging a lot and you get into some unique circumstances where you're both growing in your physical ability, but also super uncomfortable. I think like 95% of the time I'm probably uncomfortable, either cold, <laughs> either too cold or too hot or tired. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, crawl, crawl a half mile through the snow just to watch the meal deer you're going after walk away. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah. I had Will's laughing, laughing, looking at me. We, uh, oh, my mule deer season came to a sad, sad <laughs> ending. But uh, I shot a mule deer on the last day, and and uh, probably my own fault, poor shot placement, or um, the determination of the mule deer to survive. And uh, we ended up blood trailing it for several miles before the blood trail disappeared and there was no mule deer to be found. So, um, yeah, <laughs> feel your pain, <laughs> but, um, while we're on the topic of recipes, I do have a couple that I want to talk about and you guys feel free to comment, um, on them as you see fit. Feel free to thumbs up or thumbs down them. Um, so first is an elk elk steak pie. And this is, uh, this is from one of our new riders, uh, Victoria. She just recently joined the team, and she's actually she's a, a trained chef uh, like myself, and she lives down in, in, uh, in Louisiana, which is actually where I trained as a chef as well. She came up with this really amazing recipe, and it's like a, kind of a – I say pie, it's – it definitely looks like a mix between like a, a sweet pie and a savory pie. And it's not like a, a hand pie. It's like in a dish and baked. But to sort of go into it a little bit, it uses uh, elk round steaks, um, some pie crusts. Uh, I think in most cases, unless you're a super um, proficient baker, I think it's okay to source pie crusts from the store. I'm not a huge baker, so... That's generally what happens. <laughs> um, and then uh, it's got a bunch of really great vegetables, potatoes, uh, portobello, sweet potatoes, wild rice, which I'm a huge fan of. Um, wild rice, not the same as regular rice. Did you know that? 100%. Yeah. Also, I found – I didn't find it. I, <laughs> regular rice has arsenic in it. Did you guys know that? Like a lot of – yeah. So that – yeah, so you know they always say um, to wash your rice before you cook it. So that's one of the main reasons. So there's like a threshold, um, a, a legal trace amount of arsenics that's allowed to be in rice. And some rices have to be tested regularly. And if the manufacturer, the, the grower can't 
lower the arsenic levels enough to where it's safe for consumption, then uh, they don't, you know, they obviously can't sell those batches of rice. But yeah, that's why it's a big, big step to always wash your rice because you get rid of sort of that extra arsenic. There's a whole, we can go down a rabbit hole. I was doing a lot of research last week on, the, on this. But <laughs> wild rice, uh, even though we call it wild rice, is like, is um, biologically different than, than the standard rice that you see in the store, be it long grain, short grain, medium grain, so, whatever. So like short story, eat wild game, eat wild rice. Yeah. Yeah. Wild rice. Wild. Boom. <laughs> or, just or just, yeah. <laughs> so that's, that would be a question for you, Grant. Does wild rice fall within the realm of keto? Because I think it's like closer to a seed than it is an actual, I don't know. It's a good well, just, Depends if it's got carbs in it or not. I'm over here eating eggs and bacon for every meal right now, so <laughs> or beer. <laughs> so as as we quickly digress, um, the the recipe just to close it out. It's uh really awesome. You kind of throw all the crust in there, and then you're par cooking everything together, and then uh, using your pie dough to seal it all in. Throw it in the oven for about 40 minutes at 350, and you get a nice, uh, hearty uh, meat pie, elk pie, which is really great, especially this time of the year when temperatures are starting to drop, more so where you guys live than where we live. But, <laughs> you know, I think we hit a low today of like 75, so things are looking good in the future. <laughs> Must be nice. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, it was a high of 85, so still – still sweating unfortunately but um all right another good one and this one's actually um chase waller he's one of our riders from down here in florida and uh it's a, a coconut fish stew and so one of the cool things about the uh coconut fish stew is it's very generic in the fish that you can use uh you can use just about any kind of white fish to prepare it. Um, it actually looks really great. I haven't tried it yet. It's on my list. Uh, it's very closely resembles a Brazilian moqueca, which is a type of soup they consume in Brazil. And I'd love to try this with like a redfish, that real meaty. Yep. Kind of throw it in there, especially down here in Key West. I mean, coconut and fish is some of our staples down here. So this whole thing, you just kind of... You create a stock first, and I really like this recipe because Chase uses the entire fish. So he takes the head, the skeleton, the carcass, all that other stuff, and creates a stock and then uh, makes a stew out of it and mixes in all the other ingredients, including unsweetened coconut milk um, with uh, red bell pepper and garlic and onion and, and the fish stock. The cool thing about fish stocks are because it's a, considered like a light stock, you don't roast them, and you can generally cook them in about 15 to 20 minutes because you don't want to stew the ingredients for super long. So that's pretty straightforward recipe. Just kind of need two pots and one pot for stock and one pot for all your other stuff, and, and off you go. But uh, we're kind of mixing up the order we talk about recipes and stuff uh, in this episode just to keep all the listeners on their toes. Because normally we wait till the very end. But uh, – We'll, we'll we'll do something very different today. Um, but yeah, so now 
gives us more time to hear about Infinite Outdoors and what you guys are doing in uh in that space. So please, please tell us more. All right. Yeah, I'll just kind of give a you know give give a synopsis of of who we are and kind of how we how we came to be. Um, so essentially, Infinite Outdoors. Just to I don't really like to use this this comparison too much since we're so much more, but the, the best way to conceptualize what we are is like Airbnb for hunting and fishing. Um, so it all kind of started from a, a pheasant hunting club that I started several years ago out in Eastern Colorado, just, just as a way to help out some of our, our farmer friends. They had, they had a great resource, but you know, they weren't hunters themselves. They weren't necessarily being managed and they, they also, you know, didn't have any way to, to make a good income other than some, some outfitters and, and other club organizers that, you know, honestly just took advantage of them as well as the, the, uh, the hunters. So when out there, I'm like, I'm like, yeah, just let, let me help you out with this in return. Just, you know, let me, let me keep hunting on your, on your land. And, you know, that started with just a few thousand acres and then, then grew to, um, you know, does like, you know, 12,000 acres. And then, and then it got up to like 60,000 acres, just in a matter of years from word of mouth, cause we're treating them right. And then we are also having something that the, the, uh, outdoorsman really wanted. Um, so it kind of got to a point where it wasn't something that I could just control in my, in my free time. I couldn't just be taking all these, these phone calls and throwing everybody out there. So kind of had the idea grant and I started, started working and, you know, we realized we went to school of mines in, in entirely engineering school. And like, we got some buddies that are a heck of a lot smarter than us. And we can, we can really make a platform to, to help out all of these, these hunters and fishermen, as well as these landowners. And, and so we, we put them to, put them to work. Um, you know, last, we started on this uh, like last December or January and they, they went to work full time building out this, um, building out this platform that that could facilitate easy bookings of hunting and fishing trips while Grant and myself went out and spread the word to all of our landowner contacts and 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 really got all the got everything in motion and then you know reached out to our other friends like Corbin the biologist the other really missing pieces that 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 we needed in order to do this right to be able to advise all of the landowners and whatnot um, so then so it came came together uh, the spring and I mean, it just, it just grew like wildfire. I think now we're north of 150,000 acres, miles and miles of water. Um, currently we're all in Colorado, but we're, we're, we're poised already to expand, have 10,000 acres lined up in Kansas, some properties in Nebraska and Wyoming all together. And really the, the whole mission was to actually provide that, that access to really quality hunting and fishing opportunities without just completely breaking the bank. And by kind of cutting out those outfitter middlemen and everything, it, it allowed people to easily go over hunt and fish themselves without bumping into 500 of their closest buddies on, on like the rest of Colorado's public land. And at the same time, the landowners, because they make the, the lion's share of, of every single uh, hunting and fishing trip uh they're also way happier than before so kind of everybody wins and and then i guess one final piece that was always really important to us is we do require that anybody that uses the platform um 
they're required to pay a $25 membership fee. And whenever you start your membership, you're required to donate 100% of that to a nonprofit or conservation group that we work with, just to really further reiterate our, our mission of, of making the, a sustain, making our, our hobby and our passion sustainable from generation to generation. So, you know, we partner with Pheasants Forever, Grant and myself, Grant's actually the president and the vice president of Eastern Colorado Pheasants Forever chapter. We partner with, uh, um, you know, Mule Deer Foundation, Trout Unlimited, all these, all these other organizations as well. So that $25 when you sign up goes to one of those. Um, and, and then that's, that's the only requirement to get on it. And then after that, you're just pretty much paying, paying right to the landowner and you have access to some, some of the, the best lands in, in Colorado and soon to be all of the West. So when, whenever you mention, uh, I, I like your analogy using the, the Airbnb cause it, it kind of clicks with me, even though you're right. It is much, much more. And I do see you guys doing more than that. Um, I guess I'm curious, like, all right, so I pay my $25, I join in, I go on uh, the app or the website, and uh, I take a look and I find some land that I want to uh, go hunt. Is there certain times and certain lands closed off or when it's open? Is it following seasons? Like, Yeah, yeah, so it, it's all kind of, I mean, it, it, it's kind of, it's kind of multifold. So... First and foremost, we do have, and this is the reason why we have Corbin as well as Stephen Wilson, our other biologist who mainly focuses on the hunting. We have certain parameters that we set with the, the landowners as to the most that a property could ever be hunted based off of those, those populations, other, other data available from other biologists in the state on, on you know, historical harvest rates or uh, population density. So we'll set that for every property too, and we'll say the most that it can be hunted is say three days a week. And in general, even if we could do more, that's usually our, usually would be our cap anyways, just always make sure it's very, very productive. So that's, that's the first, um, first roadmark. Um, but then the, the other, uh, obviously everything follows the seasons. You just, cause you, just cause you, uh, reserve the land, you, you can't go out and, in uh, you know, in, in March and go toast a couple meal deer, but, uh, uh, and then, uh, <laughs> and then, <laughs> And then after that, the, the big thing is we, we like to give the landowners control too. So it's, it's actually their land. It's not like they signed a lease to some outfitter and they can't do anything with their land. It is it's still their land. They make their own schedule as long as it's within those management criteria that we have. And then they just make it available. So you just go onto the property. It all, it all displays much like, like Zillow would. You get a map screen. You can filter mm -hmm. by what you want to hunt or fish for. You can click on that. That shows up with a map of those available dates that the landowner has set, and from there you can go and you can um, reserve whatever adventure that you that you wish. One of the the first things that sort of pops into my mind is there's a lot of uh, a lot of state wildlife agencies are pushing or not pushing. They're asking for private landowners to create or join into like in Oklahoma we have the Oklahoma Land Access Program. Uh, in Wyoming, they have the walk-in areas. They have those. Where, um, where do you sit in comparison to those? Yeah. So I guess uh, first thing to touch on is we we love all those programs as well, and I mean that's that's a big part of Pheasants Forever funds the Corners for Conservation and are involved with the Colorado Walk-in Program, and money we raise goes directly to that. Um, 
And actually part of our app is, I don't know if you're familiar with Onyx, but mm-hmm. we've been building out now all of the Onyx capabilities. So here in the next few weeks, we're actually going to be all of our users for that same $25, which I think is less than they charge, you get an equivalent to Onyx as well to find your your public land opportunities. Because we love that. We want to support that. Um, but then from a sheer acreage wise, I, th- I think we've, I think we almost have, uh, I don't know, we're, we're pushing almost as much land in Colorado as the state walk-in program has. And so um, the only difference is, you know, we have hundreds of users and that has a hundred thousand people trying to use the same amount of, of acreage. So I guess, man, if you're a, a hunter in Florida, you're, you're, you're poised pretty well. If you're a, a member of, of your program as well as uh, getting access to public and walk in land. So it's good. It's a good time to be a hunter. <laughs> what issues have y'all gotten? Are the landowners typically pretty open and forward and wanting to, you know, have their land used for this? How are y'all approaching these situations? Are y'all just knocking on doors? Are y'all looking at, um, you know, previous hunting records data? Like how are you finding these, uh, these landowners to hunt on their property? And then how is that relationship really built and how does that usually unfold with your, with your organization? Yeah. Um, I'll start and then I'll let Grant t- talk more cause he, he deals a lot with our, with our landowner relationships and stuff, but a, a huge portion of it has honestly just been, been word of mouth because we, we do treat our landowners so right. You know, they make two, three, four, five times as much as their outfitters. Um, only, only our end user pays a fraction as much. So, I mean, they're, they're ecstatic. They still have control. They're not selling away the rights to their hard earned land. That's been in their families forever that they spend a ton of money on. So there is a, there is a, a a surprising amount of organic growth. Um, And then we also look at uh, people who historically just from reputations where, where there's the people that said they would never lease to an outfitter. Cause so we look for the people that have purposely been burnt by by other outfitters or clubs that don't treat them right. Because for us, it's, it's perfect because we truly do. And we truly started this as a way to look after our, our landowners. So for them, it's, it's a home run. It's like, Oh, I make more, I have total control. And, and, uh, uh, and we also, you know, cover several million dollars worth of insurance for them too, as, as a, as another courtesy. So that's the big thing. And then, and then Grant will also go out after uh, um, after prospects and you know and, and talk to, talk to them just in person when we're in other areas talking with our other fellow landowners. But we like to have that. We like to we like to not really go too far past that one step removed. Like if we we know somebody and he says you know go go talk to so and so over here, I'll vouch for you and that kind of stuff. And I'll let Grant speak more if he has anything else to touch on as far as what it's like to do the interactions and some of the feedback from our. Uh, our landowners. Yeah. I mean, a lot of it is just, I mean, word of mouth, like Sam was saying, there's a lot of people that I kind of know through one connection or two connections, uh, just through someone else, uh, and somehow get linked up with them. A lot of it's just sending out pamphlets and letters, you know, introducing the idea to those landowners, um, and, uh, just getting them familiar with what we do and how it can benefit them and how we're different. We aren't a, we aren't a a hunting club or a fishing club or an outfitter. I mean, we're completely different from, from that. They still have complete control over their land and then they can list it um, for, for hunters or fishermen uh, or anglers to come out and use their land. And then they make the lion's share of the profit. Like, like Sam said originally. So um, like I actually just got up 
I've got a couple other meetings coming up, but like Sam kind of mentioned, I mean, just through just through other landowners out here in eastern Colorado, I'm, I've got a meeting with a, a landowner who has 10,000 acres over in Kansas for upland and mule deer and whitetail and all that good stuff. And then uh, just, just got another landowner who has 42,000 acres out here in eastern Colorado. And then there's a handful of other landowners in, in this area out here in eastern Colorado that have, I mean, tens of thousands of acres and and no one does anything with it and they just they just haven't ever wanted to give it they just don't want to give it to to an outfitter because they still want control they got family that hunts or you know they've got kids or whatever it may be your friends you know coming in from denver especially out here that they still want to allow to hunt but then they can manage it to where they allow people to to come out and, and pay and they make the money for doing that but nice i i really like the involvement sort of that level, like you mentioned earlier, Sam, it goes beyond just sort of like a, a booking or reservation service. You guys are sort of uh, vested in each property uh, you work on and create, seems like a pretty tight relationship with the landowner and then even the land. So I, um, I love the priorities y'all set. It's almost like land, landowner, and then the hunter or the angler. And I love that because it's it's definitely the inside out approach. Usually everybody's about the hunter and shooting the trophy animal or catching the big fish. And I think y'all are doing it right. And it's, it's definitely got longevity in the program and it puts that conservation up front. And I really like that. I mean, we, we've been blessed to be in the, in the situation too. I, I know a lot of people like they, they have to make ends meet. So it's, it's more like they create something out of necessity for money. Whereas we've, We've always we've always worked backwards. Like I said, it was just was trying to help them out. I had some time for my day job, and and uh, I was like, I'll, I'll I'll just help them first. And it's just you know what came first, the the chicken or the egg. And now we're 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 here uh, building it out. And if nothing else, we're, we're building it to help out our friends, whether those the landowners or other hunters. And you know, at at some point, if it gets to the level where we have five million acres in the entire country, is there? you know, then we might, then we might have some decent margins, but for now it's, we're looking after everybody else and we're hoping that doing the right thing is going to eventually pay off down the road and, uh, and keep this thing growing. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Do you think this is something that like new hunters could get involved in? Like This would be a, a good space for them to sort of dabble into... Uh find extra access points out and about. Yes. Yes, absolutely. I think that's, that's probably one of our, one of our main targets is, I mean, it, it, it really is just so hard to truly get into good hunting and fishing. And and I think that that's always been a turnoff to new people because they go somewhere they're, they're already, already inhibited by the lack of, of game on that property. And then they have so many other people also hunting it. And, that's part of our mission is to really be a gateway into this, into this entire sport lifestyle passion by, by opening those doors. And, and that's why like we, 
alluded to earlier, it's required that you donate to a conservation group or nonprofit. And that specifically is we're partnered with like um, Colorado Youth Outdoors and their entire entire mission is getting, um, you know, getting kids and stuff into hunting and fishing and they do all these programs. And we used to always volunteer for that. We, we would take these kids on waterfowl hunts, help coordinate some, some pheasant hunts. Um, but I also wanted to be able to provide something that's kind of the next step. Cause I still saw these kids that were, they're going out, they're having a blast, they're learning all this stuff. And then they're cut loose. They're outside of the program and they start going to your state walking areas. And I can't speak for other states, but in Colorado, it is an absolute madhouse. Like public land duck hunting. I used to show up at nine o'clock the night before sleep in my, in my truck and we'd still pack in 27 dozen decoys just to have like a shot at it. And now these, these kids that I just learned from this program, they got, they got the, those, those first steps and the core skills under their belt. Now they have the opportunity to, uh, to go on to somewhere where they're, they're actually going to have success. They're going to be able to build that passion and, and, and get over that hump to make it, make it a lifestyle and not just a, not just a one-time fad. Um, that's also why I forgot to mention this, but all, all youth, um, are 50% off. If you're under 13, you're free. So that, that again, just another mission we want to go to. I know that's a little more specific than just the first time hunters, but obviously the mm -hmm. youth are often your first time hunters and your new hunters. It all kind of rolls up into one. I think, uh, it, it definitely takes that intimidation point of, you know, back in the day, like rolling up at somebody's door and being like, Hey, can I go hunt your field back there? <laughs> and then it's like, I don't know. Um, <laughs> some intimidation factors even even as an adult or a seasoned hunter of like rolling down somebody's driveway to you know <laughs> hopefully get permission to hunt but uh yeah well it's good i uh what challenges do you have you faced and uh, overcame and and any major ones you see in the future that 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 you want to battle through or, I mean, nobody wants to battle through a challenge, but that's <laughs> really pushed through. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, I mean, honestly, it's gone, it's gone fairly, fairly well so far. I mean, just most recently, I would say that the biggest, biggest hurdles are kind of, I don't know, they're, they're real small and on, on an individual level, but we do provide, I mean, we are a DIY service. We are not an outfitter. We are just providing access to, you know, what we consider very good land because it's all been vetted through our, our biologists, our own experience. Um, but we have had some people specifically for like big game where they, you know, like they would come out, only had experience on guided hunts over feeders down south or something, and then go to an open plains eastern mule deer hunt, you know, thinking that it's going to be the same. And it, it's not. It's still, you're not going to, you're not going to see other people because you, you know, you get thousands of acres to yourself and you make a reservation with us, but you, it's still DIY. Like we're not going to show up out there. We're not going to point you to where they're at. You got to do it. So that is, that has been a struggle is, is, is trying to, trying to market to the right crowd that, that, that still knows what to expect, knows how to, knows how to hunt or fish um, and wants to do it for themselves versus expecting unrealistic things. And I mean, that being said, the same people that, complain that they're that they weren't you know essentially guided right to it grant turns around and they they shoot four massive bucks the next week when when he was uh assisting people through partnering with an outfitter that we do work with because 
he understands it. So that's been the biggest hurdle, but that's that's such a minority. So many people are just ecstatic that they can have quality land and and love that they can actually hunt by themselves for instead of having to pay exorbitant prices to have somebody hold their hand. So it's 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 been it's been good overall. I, I'm glad to say I, I don't really have too many other hurdles or obstacles that I complain about. <laughs> so seeing as uh, the challenges y'all were talking about were pretty cool, and just kind of looking ahead, how are y'all? You mentioned a lot of nonprofits helping out with the youth hunters. Are y'all doing any other sort of activities? I know you're not an outfitter, but are you organizing anything else with uh, other support organizations that are for conservation and getting other people out in the field to hunt? Yeah, so actually, one of our uh, one of our preferred nonprofit partners is American Heroes in Action. Uh, they're based here in Colorado, but uh, what they what essentially their mission is they take first responders, uh, veterans, or uh, military members uh, out on uh, on you know whether it be guided or DIY hunts uh, and fishing trips all throughout the place. I mean, I think they've done. I think they've been in thirty eight states where they've done done you know you know hunting or fishing trips all throughout i think this past this year they did a, a moose hunt up in maine i was oh like, wow nice. i was like well i guess they have like broccoli fields up there and uh, they got they give out broccoli damage fields. Bags. <laughs> I don't know. Please tell me about it. they give they, they give out damage you know permits or hunting tags through damage permits or whatnot uh and uh so they actually got a couple and a couple guys went out and shot shot a, a couple of moose up there which is pretty damn cool but we're actually uh we actually actually raise uh we raised 1200 pheasant uh pin raised pheasant out here in eastern colorado um and uh we actually donated the lodge and uh our, our land and and some birds for for them to come out um and uh they're they're doing a you know a trip together and we're supporting that trip be, being able to come out here and you know we actually have a hunting lodge here which is where i'm at right now but uh, they're, uh, they'll come out here and just be able to get a group of 10 guys or so, and just be able to enjoy life and, you know, share stories about their time that they, they served in the military and, uh, and then just be able to enjoy the night before and then go out and do some hunting the next day and, and just enjoy, enjoy life of the great outdoors. So. That's awesome. Thanks for facilitating that. That's, um, like I said earlier, we're a big fan of the veteran organ <laughs> support organizations, <laughs> Um, so that's really good. What's the, uh, all right, time to come down to the nitty gritty. So what's the, uh, I guess the even more nitty gritty, <laughs> what's the best way for people to reach you? They have questions one, and then where do they go to sign up, uh, to join? Yeah. So, uh, to, to, I mean, to contact us, we're always, we, we actually have a support function through our website that you can reach us, our, our in-house developers, which I haven't talked to, talked about them enough. I've got to do a quick plug, but we have, you know, we're very unique in that we actually have in-house developers that just do a fantastic job. So I want to, want to throw them their, their credit. They, they're obviously founding members of this, uh, this business as well, but you can, you can get onto that, that website at infinite, infinite outdoors, um, you know that that has instructions right on that landing page how to join. You just you get through. You can press uh, press join now. Get your get your profile made. Um, do your donation to conservation. Then you have full access to that whole website, the mobile app, and everything there. Um, it's always a little little button you can press to 
send us a message and we'll always get back to you that that same day. And, uh, and then obviously we're on, on social media, on Facebook and Instagram, and that's just Infant Outdoors um, or the Infant Outdoors Project is, is how we will appear on your social media feeds. Sweet. Um, well, so we always reserve sort of the ending time for uh, like a final round, a last thought, last thought, alibis, any, any last notion. So I'll, I'll hit you guys one by one with it and uh, don't feel obligated to provide one, but if you got a good, good thought, uh, please do share. So Grant, what you got for well, us? Well, I'm just excited for, for, the, for this waterfowl season. We've got uh, the, uh, I guess the front range waterfowl season starts up on November 21st. Um, and we've got a dozen pits throughout the front range and then through Northeast Colorado and a couple different water properties that are, we actually, two of our properties where we've got pits are actually within inside the uh, city limits of Greeley, Colorado, and had to get a special permit um to be able to hunt inside the city limits so they those will be kick-ass properties uh excited to to hunt them myself uh certainly <laughs> so. <laughs> but uh i mean other than that and then like i said pheasant season starting up on uh here on uh saturday which i'm pumped about too which the way the way we actually do our pheasant properties we, we split it up into 2500 to 3000 acre sections uh for you and your party only uh, is kind of how that works and so we've got we're booked up for the first weekend. So pretty pumped about that, and uh, just excited to start doing some hunting myself. I mean, pheasant season is the uh, best time of the year. It's like Christmas for two and a half months. <laughs> <laughs> nice. All right, Sam, what you got, man? All right, no, I, I just want to guess touch touch on the on the you know wild game as a as a source of food a little bit more and. Um, and, and really thank you guys for, for, for what you do and the service you provide. Cause there's one thing that really drives me crazy. It's when I hear people complaining like, Oh, a wild game that, you know, that that's gross. Or I had this elk and it was, it was disgusting. I'm like, no, you just didn't cook it right. So the, the fact that you know, there's <laughs> people that are actually, actually know what they're doing and, and that people care about really, really sharing and, and, uh, you know, learning what to do with their, their, uh, um, their harvests from nature is, I, I think that's huge. And again, something that, that we provide to help make those, those, those bounties more plentiful if you're, if you're in the Colorado area. So thank you guys and, and everybody else. Uh, keep at it. Wild game's amazing. If it doesn't taste good, it's probably your fault. <laughs> <laughs> yes. That's the most direct. You know, maybe the next, next t-shirt. <laughs> in podcast here. <laughs> well uh i i'll uh i'll give will last chance i almost gave my last thought but go ahead i think y'all have an awesome organization i think you've got share a lot of the values if not all the values that we have over here at harvesting nature and mm -hmm. it's a real pleasure to talk to y'all i hearing the passion that y'all have for this and uh you know i think this is a sustainable resource and making these relationships so that people can harvest nature mm -hmm. and uh no, I look forward to talking to you all in the future. Yeah. Um, probably get a couple new members just tonight. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, um, no, definitely it's a, a great conversation. I, I appreciate you taking the time to, uh, to come on and talk with us. It was, uh, I'm excited 
things like this really excite me because it's uh it shows that as traditional as hunting and angling is it's also progressive in many ways and uh i appreciate that fact for um continuity reasons i mean what you guys are doing is it's pretty invaluable you know i joked about it earlier but it's like it 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 takes a lot of the intimidation factor out and it's like you're you're helping everyone everyone's benefiting from this you know this software your website and service so um, it's something really great to see. So I'm, I'm excited to see where it's going to go. Uh, I, I want to see it grow and, and be successful even more so than it already is. So, um, thanks for coming on and, and let us know if there's anything we can help to push it into the future. So thank you guys. Really appreciate it. Yeah. All right. Well, um, with that, go over and give these guys a follow on social media. Like they mentioned, go check out their website. Uh, infinite outdoors and uh, as always our show notes will be online so we'll link all these things we've discussed if they're linkable they'll be there Uh, and then once you're done checking their social media profiles out if you're not following us which you should be um, (laughs) go do that and then uh, last thing go subscribe to the podcast on whatever podcast platform you're listening to smash that five star button and uh, tell us what we're doing wrong tell us what we're doing right that has the stories to back it a life to be proud of it's a winchester life yeah baby six eight western oh, i'll be over there baby right there tune in every tuesday at 7 p.m eastern on waypoint tv